You know, there's without a doubt, I believe with all my heart, God is up to something. God is doing something extraordinary. We saw God do amazing things in the year 2022, and I believe that we are, we're about to see him do something even more amazing this year. But you better believe, just like God is moving, Satan is moving too. Because when God's trying to do something good to bring his hope into people's lives, Satan is working extra hard because he does not want you or anybody in your line of sight to experience the hope that comes from God. You know, I remember years ago when I was junior high Bill, and I was with some friends at an amusement park called Bush Gardens. And there I was in line for, for a, uh, a roller coaster. And it was a busy day. The line was backed up, and we're sitting there going around all the corners and all the turns to get to the place. And I remember I'm just kind of scraping my feet along the ground, just moseying through the line. And I came across this little piece of trash, and I just kind of kicked it. As I kept going around, I didn't think anything about it. And I turned around the corner, I came across down the line, I saw this guy in the opposing line walking towards me, and his eyes locked on me. I started feeling a little freaked out, like, what is this guy doing? Why is he staring at me? And as we approached closer, all of a sudden his hand went out and his finger went into my face. He said, you know what? Next time you pick up the trash, don't you kick the trash. Oh, whoa, what kind of this guy's? He had some bad coffee or something. And I'm turning around, and that that affected me. Like the rest of the ride, my buddy's like, it's going to be okay. You can do it. Just me up. Come on. You're good. But I started thinking about that a lot that day. And over the course of my life, I keep looking back at that moment. might not have been significant. I have no idea who that guy was, just that one encounter. But, you know, I thought there's something to that. Maybe he didn't deal with it right that day with some junior high punk kid. But you know what? How often are we like that? We see a mess, but then we expect somebody else to deal with it. And I think we do it so often in our society. Guys, we turn on the news and we see the brokenness and we see all the junk going on. And then we point fingers and we expect somebody else, you deal with the mess. When can I just be blunt honest with you today? Jesus Christ died and walked out of that grave so that the church is the vessel that deals with the brokenness in the world. The church is the vessel that should be on the front lines taking care of the mess. It's our job. It's our role. God's calling us to be the light. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, when he walked the earth, said, you will be salt and you will be light. He's called us to be the light in the world. That is a significant, significant calling that he's given to all of us. When we choose to follow him, we are called to be his light. And if you're like me, you go back and you look into the Bible and you see people like Moses, for example, who did extraordinary, amazing stuff going against the biggest, largest, meanest person in the whole world, the most uh, powerful guy that walked the face of the earth that time, Pharaoh. Moses went toe-to-toe with him. And we think, wow, there was something amazingly special about that man. I can never do that. When all in reality, Moses was just a person like you and me. That's all he was. That God called to something significant. That God called to something big. It all started when Moses was kind of wandering through the wilderness and he was leading his goats and his sheep and he turns the corner and there when he turns the corner in probably a familiar spot, he sees this bush, a bush they probably passed many times before. 
But this day was different. Because on this day, that bush was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And Moses thought, huh, there's something different going on here. This is bizarre. I got to go check this out. It's one of those things when something kind of catches your eyes and your focus. It's like, I can't walk away. I have to go see this. And he's walking closer. And as he's walking closer, God calls out from the bush, Moses. You see, in that moment, Moses had an opportunity. He had a choice. Oh, man, God's in there. I can go walk towards God or I can hightail it out of here and get away and get on with my day. But Moses said, here am I. I'm here. You know, so often we miss out on what God wants to do in our life because of our unwillingness just to be in his presence. Moses became the person that he became because of his willingness to approach the presence of God. That's where it all begins. That's where it's all found. And so many of us walk through life frustrated and disappointed with life and sometimes disappointed with God, where we feel like I'm just missing out. Where is God in all this? When by and large, we are unwilling just to go and be in his presence. And you will never experience, you will never see, you will never get a glimpse of who God is in your life, what God wants to do in your life, and what God wants to do through your life if you are continually unwilling just to be in his presence. That's why here at Impact, we talk so often about the importance of a daily encounter with God. A daily encounter is just simply spending time, making a habit every day of your life to be in his presence. To go on to version and read through the Bible app or go get the old-fashioned paper Bible and open it up and read through it just to talk to him. Let him speak to you and just sit and be in his presence. Because it's in those moments when you experience him and his light in your life and see what he does through you. Because it is absolutely impossible, friends, for us to be his light in the world when we are unwilling to let his light shine into us on a regular basis. In order for us to be the light, we need to be with the light. It's the only way this happens. And Moses encountered God on that day. And that encounter changed Everything. Everything. And friends, let me just tell you, an encounter with God will change everything for you. Everything. If you're willing just to go into his presence, fully go into his presence, not just see the burning bush, but answer God, here I am. Here I am. Moses went into the presence of God and God gave him a significant calling. Oh, Moses, you, I need to send you back to to Egypt and you're gonna go toe-to-toe with the most superior, um, strongest man this world has ever seen. You're going to -to toe-to-toe with him to free your people. And instantly Moses, the man Moses, began to say, uh, no. And he went through a series of excuses, excuses that I think we wrestle with today. And I bet as we look at these excuses, these five excuses, we all say, you know what? I've said that. I I can look at every excuse and every excuse I say, I say that. 
In some parts of my life, I'm saying that right now. And here's our excuses. The first excuse that Moses gave to God was, I'm not good enough. Have you ever been there? Hey, I'm calling you. No, not me. Wrong person. I'm not good enough. The story, his first excuse starts in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. When God called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, Moses said to God, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God, do you see me? Who, Who am I? I'm not. I don't have that capability. I can't do that. And I think that maybe, just maybe, Moses became too content with his role as a shepherd. Maybe, just maybe, he became too content in the wilderness. So much so that he forgot why he was in the wilderness to begin with. Do you know why he was there? Go back to Exodus 2. He was there because he went a little rough and tumble with one of the Egyptian guards and killed them in protection of one of the Israelite people. And he fled from there. He ran away from there. And I think so often we hide away in our own wildernesses. We get so content with being in our wilderness that we tell God, I don't, I'm not the right person. I'm not the right person. And God was calling Moses to go back to the place, to go to the place that he was running from. And I fear, friends, that way too often we miss out on what God wants to do in our life because of our unwillingness to run back to where God's calling us to be. I mean, this time at the burning bush was an intensely intimate moment for Moses. Because imagine for a moment, here he is face to face, well, not face to face with God, but face to face with fire, speaking to God. And there he was, God's bringing him full circle You know that place you've been running from for the past so months, years, you know, Moses? That place that you're just like, wish that you would never have to go back and face? Your sins, your bad attitudes, your poor choices. It's time for you to go face it. I'm calling you there. And I fear that so often because we're so afraid to deal with that, run back to that space. It's like, God, I'm not the right person. Please don't make me go there. Anywhere but there. And we become so content in our wilderness that we don't allow God to use us. But you know here the crazy thing? God always seems to choose the most unlikely candidates to fulfill his mission because he sees past the person and he sees eternity. He sees eternity. He doesn't see us. He doesn't see our mistakes. He doesn't see why we're hiding in the wilderness. He sees eternity. He says, I need you to go back there because he sees our potential. He sees how our broken vessels can fulfill his ultimate purpose. That's what he sees. And so often God uses our baggage to write his story. That's scary sometimes. But so often he uses our baggage to write a story. And God did not accept this excuse from Moses. The second excuse, Moses says, I don't know enough. In fact, Moses put it this way in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 3. He says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? 
I mean, God, don't you know? I just don't know enough. And here's the crazy thing about Moses. You see, going back his backstory, when he was young, when he was a young baby, he was adopted by Pharaoh's family. He was raised in Pharaoh's household. So you know what that meant? He was raised by the most powerful, wealthy person on the face of the earth. And he had all the opportunities that came with that. All the education, all those opportunities. So you better believe Moses had to be a well-educated person. And yet still he questioned his abilities. He questioned his abilities. And the problem is, as he questioned his abilities, he was missing the point. You know what that was? This call, what God was calling him to, was really not about him to begin with. It really wasn't about Moses. It was about what God wanted to do through Moses. And I fear, friends, that too often we miss out on what God wants, us, wants to do in our life because through our excuses, we make it about us rather than what he wants to do through us. And God didn't accept this excuse. Moses did not have to have all the answers because it wasn't about him to begin with. God was gonna take care of that. God was the one gonna lead him. God was the one going before him. The third excuse Moses used was, people won't believe me. They just won't believe me. Exodus 4, verse 1, as God continues on to tell Moses, it's time to go. Here's a solution to your past excuse. Moses circles around and says, well, what if they don't believe me? Or what if they don't listen to me? Like, the Lord didn't appear to you? I mean, what if they just say it's all a fairy tale? Your, all your stuff is just, is just doesn't, doesn't add water. It just doesn't make sense. What if they just don't believe me? Have you been there? I mean, people use that same excuse today. And this, my friends, is a natural human instinct. This is where it gets to the heart of everything. You know what this is calling you to do? Going back to the place that we're running from, it opens up the doors of being vulnerable. And I don't know about you, but I hate being vulnerable. I'd rather just throw up the walls and run to the wilderness. But God's calling Moses to be vulnerable, to go back to the place where he's been running from, the people that he's been so scared to face again in his life. And fear is a natural human instinct. And so many of us live our lives in complete fear of what God's calling us to do. We live in complete fear of, well, what if I talk to that person about the hope that I have in my life? What if I invite them to church? We live in so much fear of that vulnerability of what they might do, of what they might say, of what they might ask. And that fear holds us back so often. But my friends, fear is not the pathway towards God. Fear is the devil that's convincing us that we can't do it. Don't let him win. Don't let him win. Because God told Moses, you know what? I will take care of you. In fact, I'm going to resource you. I'll give you the tools that you need so that when the hostile environment strikes up, I got you covered. I got you covered. See, Moses, it's not you. It's me. And we fear so much being vulnerable, especially if the group's gonna be hostile. And it causes us to run. But if we trust enough God enough, he will resource us. He will take care of us. And God didn't let Moses, Moses use this excuse. 
The fourth excuse that Moses used was, I'm bad at talking in front of people. I'm not that right person. I can't go and talk in front of people. In fact, he put it, he said it this way in chapter four, verse 10. Moses said to God, again, pardon me, servant, pardon me, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been really eloquent, neither in the past nor since I've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. You know, I'm just not the right person to get in front of people and talk. I mean, this is kind of more of like a talking role. I mean, let me just kind of sit behind the, the fence and just do something else. But don't put me in front of people to talk. I, I can't do that. And a lot of times when we read the scripture and we kind of go through the history of, of the Bible and this, we, we identify the possibility of Moses having some sort of speech impediment or something going on. That could very well be the case. But as I wrestle through this story more, as I wrestle through reading through Moses' life, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I feel like calling a bluff on Moses here. I feel like calling him out on this because there's a lot of evidence as you read through his story where Moses got in front of people and did a pretty fine job at giving the speech. But in this moment, mm, I'm not good enough, God. Now, there could be a couple different things. Maybe Moses was a good speaker, but he was a really humble person. And so he was like, God, I'm not the right person. I, like, his humility was winning over. Or maybe he really was a flawed person, had some sort of speech issues that caused an inability for him to get in front of people and talk. Or maybe it might have been a little bit of both. Maybe it was a little bit of both for, for Moses. Because God often does not call the flawless to do his work. You know who he calls? He takes the humble and he works his flawless plan through our cracked and broken vessels. That's how God works. And what God was challenging Moses in this point is, you're not perfect by any stretch of the mean, and that's not why I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you because of your brokenness. So that... I can work through your brokenness to write my story. That's how I want to showcase my life. And as I read this story and all of his excuses, I believe that this excuse from Moses was probably his best sales pitch for the job. It was the best thing that God says, see Moses, this is exactly why you're the right person. Because you're humble enough to know it's not you and you're broken so I get to work through you. You're the right person for the job. And all throughout the Bible, that's what we see. We see God calling people who are humble enough to recognize I need him and are humble enough to acknowledge I am broken. Which, guys, defines all of us. It defines all of us. Every one of us are broken. The question is, are we humble enough to admit it and admit that we can't move forward without God's help. That's what often sets the difference between people like Moses and people who don't experience God working in their life or through their life. But God didn't accept this excuse, which came to the last one. Moses said, was basically saying, I'm not qualified. I'm just not qualified. In fact, Moses said this way in Exodus 4.13. He said, pardon your servant, Lord. Send somebody else. Just do, 
Just do something else. There has to be another plan. There has to be another way. Use somebody else. And this is complete desperation mode. Moses is now realizing God's not stopping. I can't come up with any more excuses. So God, I'm begging you. I'm not qualified. Just do it some other way. Call some other person. And then this is the moment we see God's righteous anger come out towards Moses. Like, just trust me enough. And in this moment, the excuses stop. And God provides Aaron and says, I'll give you Aaron to go with you. He'll take care of you. And there we see God move through Moses. You see, Moses was a man who was very slow to recognize the calling and to accept the calling. But once he did, once he did, he became faithful to death. And God did extraordinary things through him. But Moses would have never have experienced what God wanted to do in his life if he remained hostage to his excuses in the wilderness. See, God had to work through Moses at the burning bush to drop your excuses and trust me enough and let me lead. And I think that's where we're at, friends. I think all too often we as Moses wander through our own deserts, we hold on to all of our excuses as to why we can't, why it should be somebody else, why God should pick somebody else. And all we do is we continually remain hostage to our own excuses, wandering through our own wildernesses. And just like Moses, God's calling us. Here we are at our burning bush. Here we are at our moment. The question is, will we walk towards the presence of God and experience what he wants to do in our life to see the opportunities that he's presenting to us every single day to be his light? The verse we ended last week's message with was from, from, Jesus, from Jesus in Matthew 9, verse 37, which reads, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. My friends, we're at a burning bush moment. As we move into this new year, we are at our burning bush moment. God is calling us, his church, to be the light in the world. It's time for us to point fingers for somebody else to deal with it. It's time for us to be humble enough to accept the call. It's time for us to put away our excuses like Moses and say, God, I trust you enough. I don't know how, but I trust you enough to walk with you through this. Even as scary as the next step may be, I trust you enough to take that step. Because Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. And my friends, as we move into this new year, there is a significant harvest that lies in front of us. A significant harvest. The question is, who is willing to step away from hiding in our wilderness to walk into that harvest and to do and be the light that God called us to? Because the tides have shifted in our world. The tides have shifted and the church needs to be humble enough to, to accept that and acknowledge that in order for us to be effective as his light. Because we are now in the hist first time in the history of the world, a post-Christian society. Guys, we are not the home team anymore and we gotta stop acting like we are the home team anymore. The more we act like the home team, the more the devil gets the advantage. 
It's time for us to be humble enough to acknowledge we are not the home team anymore. And I know it's scary. It's vulnerable. It's fearful. And we think we look, through, look forward. We look at the news and we see all the bad news. And we think, boy, there's just no hope. But I'm here to tell you there is absolutely hope because Jesus himself said the harvest is plentiful. But he needs the workers. He needs the workers. You know, for the past several decades, the boomer generation has been the heart and the soul of the church. This generation is the generation that has built the church and the foundation that we see today. They've served the church. They tithe. They attended in droves. They have done so much good for the church. But unfortunately, studies have revealed that since the COVID-19 pandemic began, and since that time, the boomer generation statistically is on a steep decline within the churches. And since this crisis, the Boomer generation represents the demographic that is least likely to return to church since the COVID pandemic began. In fact, a Barner study that recently was conducted says 22% of the, of the Boomer generation who went to church before the COVID-19 crisis began now has stopped going to church completely. And that has affected the church. I'm not just saying, I'm saying the church as a whole. Because through this group, there was so much attendance and volunteering and giving. Since COVID-19, 16% of millennials who attended church have stopped going to church since the pandemic began. And the weekly attendance of the Booner generation has just been on the steep decline. You know, as you study generations, every generation there's a, there's a significant decline on who goes to church. From 60%, which was the, the boomer generation, down to the Generation X, Generation Z uh, demographic, that is now 10% of that population goes to church. Guys, it's easy to look at the future and be fearful, but the harvest is plentiful. You know, Generation Z is a significant generation where the harvest is plentiful. Generation Z, as we define it, I know there's so many different models out there, but as we define it here at Impact, it's birth years 2001 to 2017, roughly those who are seven years old to 23 years old. My friends, this is the first truly post-Christian, fully digital culture, fully digital generation. And so easy to look in the future with fear, but guess what? It's not all bad news. It's not all bad news. In 2022, we've seen the attendance of the church rebound. Check, check this out. You know, while the boomers, unfortunately, statistically, attendance in church has flatlined and declined, we see Generation X, which is my generation, and we see the millennial generation, which is the generation behind Generation X, start to become consistently the highest population of the church. More churches are populated by Gen X and millennials than any other generation right now. And as you move forward, Generation Z in the Barner study, is, which is the generation behind Generation X, millennials, I'm sorry, 2001 to 2017 birth years, it's the most unchurched generation that this world has ever seen. Like I said, 10% of those who are Generation Z go to church. Only 10%. But statistically and by studies, Generation Z 
is the most open generation to spirituality than any other generation. They're the most open to spirituality. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. The challenge, my friends, are we as a church willing to embrace, willing to to handle and walk through what has become the deconstruction of faith for so many people? What has become a curiosity with so many other ideas and beliefs and, and thought processes that are out there? Are we willing to embrace a journey that comes alongside and walks with them? Because in order to be effective, to be the light, we have to. We have to. It's so easy to look at these statistics and, and feel beat down. But more than any other generation, more than any other adults, Generation Z believes there's a supernatural spiritual side to life. More than any other generation, this generation believes there's something else out there. We just don't know what it is. It's kind of like when Paul was going through planting church. He went to one city and they had all these statues of all these gods and there's one that was the unknown God. And he says, let me tell you guys about this unknown God. He didn't didn't dog them for all the other gods. He looked for the opportunity within their culture. And that's what God's calling us to do. That's what he's calling us to. Look at these other statistics about the supernatural beliefs. Is, um, you know, the journey of Generation Z with, compared to all other adults in our society. You know, the question's like, I believe there's a supernatural or spiritual side of life, but I don't believe any one faith system works for me. All adults, 51%, would agree with that statement. Generation Z, 61%. Next, question, next statement. I have gone through a prolonged period of time where I significantly doubted my faith. All adults would say 49%, Generation Z, 65%. Next statement, my experiences have led me to deconstruct or take apart the faith of my youth. Like just tear it down. I don't need to really go with it anymore. 47% all adults would say that of the Generation Z population, 56% of the population would agree with that statement. Last one, I am disillusioned by my experience in Christian churches. Somehow the church hurt me or broke me or I just don't like something about it. 43% of adults would say that. And the Generation Z percent, 48% would agree with that statement. And it's so easy to see that and be fearful and disappointed and disheartened with the future. And the struggle is that they don't necessarily believe that one faith works. They, they believe there's a spirituality aspect of life, but it's, it's really a compilation of many things. And it's our willingness to come alongside them, to journey with them, to embrace them, to love them, and be willing to walk with them. And I get it. It's easy to be disheartened by all these statistics. But friends, Generation Z is the most spiritually open generation that we've ever seen in our lifetime. Because look at this. Of all the generations... The statement, I am open to God today more today than before the pandemic. Generation Z, 59% agree to that compared to every other generation before it. They are spiritually open. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. You ready for the good news? A spiritually open generation is a reachable generation. It's a reachable generation. The question is, will we go? Will we go? This doesn't mean we change what we believe, change the foundation of faith. That's not what that means at all.
But like what the Apostle Paul did throughout the book of Acts, we need to rethink how we do church. We need to rethink how do we speak God's truths into our future generations? How do we bring his light to this world? And that's our commitment as a church for this generation, to be his light. Because if we don't, who will? If we don't, where will the church be in 10 years? If we don't, where will the world be in 10 years? Guys, he called us to be the light. He called us to be the broken vessels to speak his love and truth and hope in this world. So that means we need to be willing to embrace change. We need to be ready for real dialogue, even when we don't always understand it. And a lot of times we may not even agree with it, but we need to be willing that I'm gonna have a real dialogue. I'm going to listen. I'm gonna walk with you, to walk with you to the presence of God. And so to accomplish this, we are fine-tuning our focus to reach the Generation Z demographics. You know, the leadership believes that God is calling to us to this, to reach this harvest. That's why impact kids are so important. That's why impact students are so important in our efforts and why we're gonna step up our game in all those areas to be even better equipped, better resourced, and provide better opportunities so that we can raise up future generations who know, who know the love of Jesus in their life. That's why we wanna take steps to really initiate a stronger college-age program. Did you realize within five miles of our church, there are over 40,000 international college students. You want to change the world? Start inviting some college students to church and take them out to a meal after church. Start building that relationship and you can change the world. You can transform the world just one person at a time. You know, we want to make more efforts in that regard. And so we are fine-tuning our focus. We want to develop strategic efforts to effectively reach the future generations. That is a completely digital culture, which means we need to increase our efforts and our digital presence in so many platforms, in so many areas. That's why we talked about last fall, our beginning of a residency program, because our ultimate aim is to raise up the next generation to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, and become kingdom workers. And we are developing a plan and a strategy that will raise children up to know him, to love him, to walk with him, and become the future leaders of the church. That's our mission. That's our goal. We want to see the church go beyond ourselves. When I'm dead and gone, I want the church to be even stronger and greater than when I was ever here. And it happens the more we develop and raise up the future generations to know him, to love him, to walk with him and become the future kingdom workers that this world desperately needs. But we need you. We need you. We need a church in unity to lock arms together to accomplish this big mission. In two ways you can lock arms with us. The first is by tithing. For those of you who've been faithfully tithing here at Impact, we appreciate you. Thank you so much. And I'm asking maybe this year, would you prayerfully consider taking another step of faith in your giving? See what God wants to do through you. See, tithing is an opportunity where we get to fully trust God in our life and our journey with him. It's a way of saying, you know what, God, you take care of me. Just like Moses at the burning bush, I can't do this. I can't, I, I can't do this. And God says, no, 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 I'm doing this through you. 
Just trust me. And maybe you've never taken a step to, to partner with us in the area of tithing, giving 10% of your income to the mission of the church. I'm humbly asking, will you partner with us in that way? Take that step. Try it for 30 days and see what God does. See how God takes care of you. I challenge you to do that. See God at work. And we also need partners with us. We need more volunteers with our Sunday ministry teams from Impact Kids to Guest Central to the tech team to the ushering team to, to uh, safety team to our, to our parking lot team to our cafe team. There's so many aspects and they're all one team to help people when they walk this place to feel loved, to feel valued, and to be seen. Will you be a part of one of those teams? We need you. And also, if you're a digital person, we need you because we need to really up our game in the digital space. And we need more people to partner with us who have those skills and abilities to help us take our digital space even to a new level with so many aspects from social media to our online streaming to podcasts and so many other opportunities. Will you partner with us? See, God said, Jesus said, the harvest is, is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a big harvest in front of us, friends. Will you join us as we move forward? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much because of how good you are. And Lord, in this moment, we lean on you. Because like Moses at the burning bush, Lord, I know I have so many excuses, so many reasons why I can't. But every reason, every excuse comes with an opportunity to trust you even more. And Lord, in this moment, may we just hand over our excuses to you as to why we can't, why we can't tithe, why we can't volunteer, why we can't invite someone to church, all those excuses that we have. And Lord God, just may we put them aside, give them to you and trust you enough to work through our broken vessels to shine your light. Father, write your story through us. Lord, we want to be a place that builds the foundation for your kingdom so that when we're all gone, the church is moving forward. Your light is shining. Thank you, Lord, for your willingness to use us and be with us as we go from here. In your name we pray, amen.